0: Welcome everybody, Steve with Sons of coming at you once again with Father Joseph Matlach. We had him about two or three months ago, I think it was, talking about Byzantine, Byzantine, tomato, tomato, and today we're talking about Eastern martyrs, is that right?
1: Yeah, the Eastern Catholic martyrs, more specifically uh, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic martyrs who uh, shed blood, uh, gave their lives for the faith under the Soviet Union of the 20th
0: century very good very good now a lot of people probably 99 percent people don't know what we're about to go i know father gave me a link and i had no idea about the guys that he, he sent me so obviously the faith is endless we don't know all the saints we don't know all the martyrs you know from every century and especially in the east for us being Latin. so father who's our number one who's our first
1: well i think probably first is to give a historical overview because mm-hmm. a lot of people might may might know in general about uh, that period of time but they might not know specifically some of the more interesting facts so i think if i give just a brief overview that might help um so you know that in 19, october 1917 the bolshevik revolution takes place mm-hmm. uh in uh in russia and of course they overthrow um, much of what went before, uh, so the monarchy, the czar, uh, and uh, of course, Marxism is based on an atheism, uh, atheism. So Marxist creed. So, of course, uh, what do we have in Russia? We have the Orthodox Church, the very powerful Orthodox Church. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, still to this day, numerically the largest of all of the Orthodox churches around mm-hmm. the world. Uh, and so, of course, they have to contend with a very powerful cultural force. In those days, you have church and monarchy going together. So if they eliminate the monarchy, they also have to eliminate the church. Mm-hmm. And so they, they do begin to do that. Uh, and of course, that was under <clears throat> Vladimir Lenin uh, and his successor, Joseph Stalin, who was brutal as can be, uh, by the way, a former seminarian. He was a, from Georgia, the country Georgia, and it was a seminarian at one point. So totally abandoned all of all of that, his baptism. And uh, at first, of course, he you know carried on the ideal of being read of the church. But at some point later on in his life, his reign, if you will, he almost realized that it was a very powerful cultural force and it might prove more useful to his desires and whims uh, if he were to harness the church and use it rather than totally outlawing it. it as his strategy, of course. And so he decides to, uh, in a sense, use the uh, the Russian Orthodox a church, the, the Moscow Patriarchate, to further uh, you know, some sense sort of allegiance to to the communist socialist goal, and so uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm being very general here. There's a lot of nuances and historical facts, but in essence, there is a sort of union, if you will, between the KGB, uh, the NKVD, which became the KGB, mm-hmm. and officials of of the Russian Orthodox Church for one reason or another. It it could be malicious in some cases, yes. In other words fear. So if the state is offering you a chance to exist and uh you're afraid of losing your life, perhaps you are afraid of how many people might be killed. And of course even the Orthodox were persecuted and killed priests as well as as well as other people. Mm-hmm. So of course Psychologically, I, I could never understand i I've been fortunate, if you will, not to live under that kind of pressure, so I can only imagine what could have been going through the very best of them um, if not you know the ones who maybe did have malicious intentions so so of course they he uses the um, the Russian church to cement that union with Moscow the, the socialist dream, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, of course, part of that is to squash all religious bodies that don't belong to that. So uh, one of the... um, It's not just the Catholic uh, Church that he he, uh, decides to squash, but he has a particular problem with the Catholic Church uh, because it has an allegiance, if you will, to a governing body, if that makes any sense, abroad, uh, in in essence, in, in Rome. And so it's, you know, to have... Uh, a group of people, uh, large in his um, union, that is constantly looking to an outside power, uh-huh. and probably he would view them as monarchical. You know, the Pope and his sede uh, a problem that he had to deal with. So he has to get rid of uh, of that kind of opposition. And if you go back a little bit to uh, September nineteen thirty nine. Uh, so we, in October 1917 is the Bolshevik Revolution, September 1939 there is a pact between uh, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union called the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, and of course that's when they, it's a non-aggression pact, and according to that pact, so the, the, the Soviets, uh, they have, you know, their territory which they're allowed mm. to occupy, if you will, and the Nazis have their territory, of course we know that the Nazis have a totally different uh, plan because in a couple of years, on, in June 1941, they're actually Nazi Germany is going to invade the Soviet Union. But for those two years or so, uh, the uh, the Soviets uh, occupy Western Ukraine. And in that period of time, uh, they begin to, uh, if you will, initiate that oppression of the catholic church in western ukraine and western ukraine the majority uh ukrainian greek catholic church or the greco-catholic church is the catholic church uh of the eastern uh byzantine tradition that is united with rome so if you watch the episode i did with you uh however many months ago it was we went through that historically and we saw how the union between that particular body of greek right christians and rome took place Mm -hmm so it really is cemented in the culture there are three dioceses uh, three major dioceses lviv stanislaviv and peremyshl lviv is, is still called lviv stanislaviv is called ivano frankivsk and peremyshl is now in poland but really there's three dioceses united with with rome and they begin that oppression and uh, you know throughout this show i'm actually going to have some quotes that there's a really great little book that was published by the ukrainian catholic university called the church of the martyrs saints Ukraine, and they actually have some wonderful quotes uh, generally, but also about the individual martyrs. And uh, metropol- so there's, a, there's a, the major figure in that era, the, the leader of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is a, uh, a man by the name of Andrei Sheptytsky, Metropolitan Archbishop Andrei Sheptytsky, former Polish noble who rediscovers his Greek right roots, uh, enters the Brazilian uh, monastic order and eventually becomes a priest, and then a bishop, then the Metropolitan of Lviv. He really is an, uh, a very historical, a large figure for that period, and of course the faithful are praying for his canonization one day. But he writes uh, about that two-year period that it is absolutely clear that under the Bolsheviks, we all felt destined for death. They did not conceal their intention to destroy, to strangle Christianity, to erase its smallest traces. So in that period, uh, property was confiscated, schools and hospitals were nationalized, publications and organizations were forbidden, religious uh, organizations and publications forbidden, uh, schools and presses were closed, uh, the activities were limited, and of course there was just the the atheist propaganda and the terror that they started to uh, unleash. Now, of course, uh, what happens is that uh, in 1941, the Nazis uh, invade, and due to how brutal the Soviet oppression had been in, uh, in, in Ukraine, um, not just in the West, but also in the East, of course you have the, the so-called the holodomor," the, the, the famine, which killed. I mean, conservative estimates are 9 million. I've heard even as much as 13 million people through starvation. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is brutal oppression of the entire country and all the people. So when the Nazis came in, it wasn't that they were Nazis. It was just there was a a liberation from that oppression. And so at first, uh, the... You know, are they coming to liberate us? Uh, perhaps, and so they they sort of get rid of the Bolshevik regime and the Soviets withdraw from Western Ukraine oftentimes destroying things as they left Mm -hmm. But of course those expectations were unfulfilled because as soon as the the national socialists come in the Nazis They also begin to unleash their own atrocities. My own father, for example uh, I mean he was uh, on the older side when I was born, but he was in Ukraine. He actually left Ukraine in 1941 Uh, He was not Jewish So he wasn't taken to a concentration camp, but he knew villagers uh, who, who were taken. Uh, he was um, taken as a forced laborer, as a displaced person to Germany, where he actually lived from 41 until 48. So he was in Nazi Germany for the majority of the war as a displaced person, as along with many other um, uh, Ukrainians. In fact, the bishop who ordained me to minor orders was born in a DP camp in oh, Western wow. Germany before he came to the United States. Um, so really all of that, all of those hopes for freedom were, were squashed. Um, of course, then the Nazis, you know, the, the turn of the war in Stalingrad, they lose that battle in 1943. And then they begin to get pushed back and exhausted. And in 1945, that's all over. And the Soviet Union uh, comes back in full force and you know, unleashes uh, its its terror. And um, It was really an exchange of one brutal regime for the other. Mm -hmm. And Metropolitan Sheptivsky condemned, you know, both uh, Nazi atrocities and the Soviet brutality. And so this is what we were were dealing with at the time. So uh, the Soviet Union returns to Western Ukraine. And it says, okay, well, it it begins to uh, unleash a plan around, um, I'm not really a a, a great historian of that period, so I'm just going uh, through some general facts. 1945, there is a plan um, approved by Stalin to liquidate the Catholic Church in in Western Ukraine. This is all hatched. They have a, a big plan. And the KGB colludes with, uh, certain, certain people. And the way that they do this is that they, there are three priestly figures uh, of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Um, I actually forget their names, but there are three priestly figures, uh, one representing each of the dioceses, that have these pro-Russian um, sympathies, if you will. And so with their cooperation... And uh, with the collusion of the KGB, they organize an effort to liquidate the Catholic Church under the pretext that they were supporting the National Socialists, the Nazis,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which of course they weren't doing. But that was the pretext that was used. And of course, they're masters in propaganda. So uh, Metropolitan Sheptitsky dies in on November 1st, 1944. Uh, his successor is named in uh, in a bishop by the name of Joseph Slippy. Slippy is actually Ukrainian for he who is blind, but that was his last name. So, if you will, Joseph the blind, Joseph Slippy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what happens on April the 11th, 1945, is that Joseph Slippy and a number of other bishops were arrested and were you know they all end up in prison and eventually they'll end up in in places like Siberia for decades so then these three figures these three priests with the KGB with the Soviet uh, forces who were colluding organize um, a pseudo synod false synod Mm -hmm contrary to the canons of both the Orthodox and the Catholic churches. So, in essence, um, I you know, watching a documentary recently, what, what they did was they, they brought the certain priests in, priests who um, you hear were sort of more... Um, amenable to suggestion i mm. say that in the in the nicest way and then of course they uh, you know they were brought in in cars uh, it looked as though they were being imprisoned and they were brought into saint george's cathedral in lviv but i i've actually been there it's a beautiful uh gold golden yellow church that sort of sits on top of mountain, so you can see it very prominent throughout the city mm-hmm. but it was the catholic cathedral they're brought in and uh and and by the way these these three uh, out of the three men two of them the, the two celibate priests were taken to kiev and and consecrated so they were received into russian orthodoxy mm-hmm. and were consecrated bishops uh and then they of course they come back um and they they bring all the priests in and they have a a, a synod in 1946 and uh and the purpose of the synod is to um, annul the union of Rest, Brest, B R E S T, the union which had brought these faithful into communion with with Rome, uh, following their own traditions and, and and ritual traditions and so on. So they they brought them in, and uh, and there's actually video footage of all of this. In fact, there is. Um, I I found a ten minute video footage of on YouTube. I can send you a link, you know, for people to watch. But you, I mean, the, the people are speaking in Russian and Ukrainian, mm-hmm. but you can sort of watch um, the the expression on the faces of these priests. There, they're, they're, There's this, uh, a, this sort of hopelessness or a despair in what's going on. Uh, and, and there's even, you can f- even feel a, a fear in their faces. So when they take the vote, you can sort of see uh, the priest's hands are being raised and you can kind of see them looking around because, of course, you—if you didn't vote, uh, God know, God knows what would happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I even—I even, I even uh, learned something new that the three collaborators who were received into orthodoxy were eventually liquidated by the KGB. It was an effort to cover up any trace of um, of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this was, and in, uh, in 1949, so that was in 46. In 1949, the uh, Union of Usharod in Transcarpathia, which is the Carpathian Mountains, uh, further to the west, bordering you know Poland, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, the the Rusyn uh, Union of Usharod that was annulled as well. And of course, um, martyrs both you know proceeded and followed that at horrible period of time and. Um, and of course, that lasted until 1989, 1990, when uh, really under under Gorbachev, when you had his policy of, of glasnost and perestroika, his opening up, mm. when the people began to reclaim their identity, uh, both national and cultural, but also religious, and including marches on Moscow, uh, including marches to, to demand the recognition of the right of the people to be Catholics. But between the period of 1946 and 1990-1991, this is the one thing that fascinates a lot of people when they learn about this period. The Greek Catholic Church in Ukraine uh, in, in that period was the largest underground organization religious organization in the entire world because while many uh, none of the bishops uh, passed over to the union with moscow they were all deported to siberia and were martyred and we'll learn some of their stories many of the priests just you know accepted the union but many of them also went underground mm-hmm. And so you had this organization underground. I was actually very fortunate when I was in seminary, we had a priest living with us who was ordained in the underground uh, as a redemptorist priest. Um, He would tell us stories of what life was like. Um, In fact, the priest in whose parish I was ordained to the diaconate, he was also, uh, despite the fact that he's American, he was born here, He was actually ordained in Western Ukraine uh, almost right before the Soviet Union collapsed. So he was also ordained, if you will, in in secret. And I've met others who can tell you the stories of what it was like. So a priest would would be ordained usually in somewhere like a hotel room, uh, uh, using a whisper Mm -hmm. with guards uh, watching out for possible... KGBs plus, of course, they would bug the room, so you'd have to do it at a whisper, mm-hmm. because they, you know, could hear the ceremony taking place. So it was a, almost a silent ordination, if you will. And then the lives of these men, and and then the women and the faithful and the children, and how they lived and how they preserved the faith in the underground, uh, in what. Our, you know, present metropolitan Boris of Philadelphia, uh, who spent uh, the majority of his priesthood in Western Ukraine, rebuilding the theological academy that had been closed uh, by the the Soviets. He would say the the most well-oiled, financed, anti-theist machine, namely the Soviet Union, tried its best to stamp out religion and they failed. They failed to do so because of the faith of, of the people. And so that's uh, so. And, and as a result, now, you know, there has been a, 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 a total flowering of, of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, not just in the west of Ukraine, but in the rest of. Uh, but we're also in, in the rest of the world and you know, as, as a priest of that church, of that tradition, I just think that all these people suffered so that I could be free, so that I could exist. Um, I There's a, a beautiful quote here by uh, Metropolitan Sheptitsky right before he died. Uh, in fact, yeah, that the... Um, Apparently, you know, the Metropolitan lay with his eyes shut and breathed with difficulty and then he started to pray and he opened his eyes and he began to speak to us. Our church will be ruined, destroyed by the Bolsheviks, but you will hold on. Do not renounce the faith, the Catholic Church. A difficult trial will fall on our church, but this will pass. I see the rebirth of our church. It will be more beautiful, more glorious than of old, and it will embrace all of our people. Uh, Ukraine will rise again from her destruction, will become a mighty state, united, great, comparable to the other highly developed countries. Peace, well-being, happiness, a lofty culture, mutual love and harmony will, will rule here. It will all be as I say, it is only necessary to pray that the Lord God and the Mother of God will care for our poor tired people who have suffered so much and that God's care will last forever. And of course, I can't see the the total future, but I can, from the ecclesiastical point of view, I can say we have risen from the ashes, and you know, uh, people have tried to squash us in so many ways, and uh, it has all failed because ultimately God is is the victor. God has uh, has won all of that. So that's a good summary of 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 the story. And then you know, I can, you know, go into talking about individual martyrs. Um, give you a good summary, and and really, what they suffered is 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 um, I mean, it's sort of frightening, but it's also very inspirational to all of us, particularly priests, but also lay people, uh, for for our own lives and our own day.
0: Before you before you do, that'd be can't wait for that. Do you see any parallels or foreshadowing from there to what we got going on today?
1: Uh, yet, generally speaking, uh, there's always the threat of governmental persecution and oppression. I think the mistake of of our era, as is a possible mistake of every era, is to rest comfortable that what we have now is is fine, and we really don't need to defend our faith. Or we really don't need to speak up because you know that time is of the past. You know we're enlightened people now, but of course. Every error says that uh, sin is, is always present, uh, uh, the church, they always will be, um, in a sense, you know, it's, it's the result of sin. Mm-hmm. So there's always a possibility that we will become a church of martyrs again. And it's, it's almost arrogant to say, you know, well, but we're in America now, or we're in the West, and the West is peaceful now, and it's enlightened, we don't do that anymore. Well, I don't think we can we can say that. Look at what we're going through right now. Um, there are plenty of stories. I mean, I could sit here for hours and talk about the different stories in the news of of oppression of you know, churches and believers, mm-hmm. whether it's physical edifices, uh, icons and statues and, and church buildings. Uh, uh, for example, just recently here, a tabernacle was, was stolen with the most holy Eucharist mm-hmm. reserved in, in it. And you hear other stories around the world. But also, you know, oppression of individual Christians. So in the public sphere, in, in the marketplace, can we express our faith freely and openly? Mm-hmm. Can we, uh, and, and the people that we speak with, our fellow citizens, do they understand the natural law? in the same way that we do. Well, you know, that's all being overturned in the West. Mm -hmm. And so really we can't uh, rest complacent and easy, uh, assuming that nothing can pass. Uh, That's not the case. Uh, it, It only really takes one election, if you will. History has taught us that. It takes one election to undo everything not even a generation, I was going to say a generation, but it takes one election. Mm -hmm. Well, we have one every four years or or so. So, you know, it's frightening to think about it, and I I don't want to um, suggest that we go around, you know, living with that, but we do. uh, Read the gospel, persecution, you will be dragged before the courts, uh, and just give an answer uh, for your faith, and don't worry, because it will be given to you what to say just like it was given to these martyrs. So yeah, there's so much uh, mm-hmm. uh, comparison between then and, and and now. I mean, it might not be the USSR as it will. It might be I don't know, the USA. It's a possibility. I no, mean, we're yeah. a great nation, but it's theoretically it's possible.
0: Yeah, I've been I usually get a lot of heat from my friends when I say that cuz uh, I mean we look back in history in nineteen twenty eight or twenty six, I forget the two, the the socialist uh platform that were running for president back then, and they quit. And they said the reason why was because FDR was already doing their whole platform. And you can look down at their platf their list of the planks, and we've incorporated all of them. And then the late great father John Hardin, he's got a nice article about United States is the greatest Marxist nation that's ever existed and he lists his arguments and because you hear people saying well we're about to have communism going well according to these guys it's we've got it we've had it so now you see it kind of resonating to the forefront with the going after the church now they start with these statues of uh, historical figures and now they're looking like they're focusing on the church now in California Juniper Sarah. someone said they're going to go start going after literally the buildings next um.
1: and we've seen that we've seen violence uh, uh, unleashed on cathedrals and parishes and mm-hmm. tabernacles and icons even now statues it, it's possible and and so you know what do we learn from the martyrs is the most important thing we're not just you know reading these stories and learning about them not just to entertain or to wow us, mm-hmm. uh, but to teach us something. couldn't have done this without God's grace. Uh, I certainly couldn't without God's grace. If I were faithful to him, it's because of his grace. Everything mm-hmm. is because of his grace. And my free will cooperates with him, of course. But, uh, you know, God has to be present, and he was present with those people, as he could be
0: with us, too. Amen. So, yeah, so who's, who you got that uh, stood out for you that, Well,
1: as you look through it, um, so what happened was, uh, Pope John Paul II, when he went to Ukraine in 2001, he beatified, um, I think it was, about 26 Mm -hmm. of the martyrs um, there in Lviv, and most of them are priests and bishops. You know, it's not. To, there were a lot of lay people that were faithful as well, um, and oftentimes they ended up in exile in Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, we know the stories of the bishops and priests because you know they're more public figures. But uh, what I want to do is, I'm just going to go through the list mm-hmm. of, of all of them, and and if I, you know, if there's an interesting fact about one about them as as I go along, uh, I can um, I can mention that. Uh, an interesting uh, character is um, Blessed Leonid. Feodorov, Blessed Leonid Fyodorov, and Blessed Leonid was actually born into a Russian Orthodox family and converted, uh, came into full communion with the Catholic Church in Rome, and eventually he became uh, the, um, he returned to Tsarist Russia and became the Exarch. An Exarch is, um, an Exarchate is not quite a diocese, sort of a jurisdiction of the faithful that's not quite yet a diocese, so he became the Exarch of the uh, Russian Greek Catholic Church. Um, he was imprisoned a number of times, um, exiled and, and died as, as a martyr of the faith in, in 1935. And um, what's really interesting is that Metropolitan Andrei Sheptitsky, he really had, he was a man far beyond his time, far beyond the petty squabbles and the nationalistic infighting that took place. He was a great patriot of uh, of his nation, but in looking beyond the borders of his nation, into Russia, into the very place uh, where Russian, you know, Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union originated, and he's seeing the goodness of the people that are there, very easy to forget. Andre, looked him, uh, when he learned of, um, of Blessed Leonid's death. He wrote, um, we expect that the exarch is on the road to glorification through the advocation. Oh, he said too early to speak about this, but we were strongly impressed by his holiness, strengthened by the crown of martyrdom and death. And um, so, again, you know, he's looking at that, and he's looking at a figure saying, you know, little did he um, know, but, you know, many of his own brother bishops and priests would be would be affected. Okay. Then as we go into the um, the the period of time in between the um, Soviet and the Nazi invasion, okay? We come across a figure by the name of Father uh, Nicholas Conrad, Blessed Nicholas Conrad. Um, Nicholas Conrad was accompanied by another martyr, a a layman, uh, Vladimir Prima. Okay, so Father Nicholas Conrad was was a parish priest. He was also a brilliant uh, uh, doctor, professor uh, of theology and canon law. Um, of of philosophy and and theology rather and 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 his cantor so in our tradition you know the 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 role of the cantor is very important and oftentimes when the priest would go to uh, provide the holy mysteries to the sick he'd be accompanied by cantor and that was the story of these two people uh father nicholas conrad you know beloved um a professor of the academy um who also loved working with with the youth just had a heart for the youth he was really uh, a one to be with the students. Um, he and and, and and Volodymyr Prima returning from visiting uh, a sick woman who'd requested uh, to go to confession, both of them were killed um, at the hands of the NKVD, which would become the KGB in 1941 in a place in a village uh, called Strach. Um, you know, I, I actually read the is, is um, you know, Father Conrad went with the the sacraments to fulfill his obligation. And he went to, to hear the confession of this woman. Um, he felt he had to go. He felt uh, just, a and you'll see this a lot with these martyrs. They just, no matter what the fear was, no matter what the oppression, they felt they had to go. Um, you know, uh, one person who said, father, you know, don't go, you know, The war's happening. Anything could happen. Please don't go. But apparently, Father Nicholas said, no, this is my sacred duty. I have to go. So he dressed himself. He went with his cantor. They did not come back. Um, After a week, they were found uh, murdered. Um, People obviously didn't. They they felt something was wrong. So they went looking for them and they found them them murdered. Uh, The story says that, you know, the cantor, uh, Blessed Volodymyr, had two children one was three and the other was four years old. And, um, and the, the account goes that the cantor was especially cut up, his chest stabbed with a bayonet many times. So here's an example of a layman mm-hmm. uh, as well as a priest. And, and, you know, the fact that, you know, it, really uh, those who hate Christ, they'll just, you know, um, take anything. Um, another one is um, a, a man, uh, another brilliant term, um, uh, a guy with a doctor in theology by the name of Andrew Ischak, Ischak. Uh, but these Slavonic names these Slavic names they have lots of vowels so uh, blessed Andrew Ishchak. again uh, he uh, he was you know he was detained um, and a uh, very similar story um, he was advised you know just go he was released go into hiding uh, the Germans the Germans were coming the Bolsheviks are going to be fleeing so go into hiding hide yourself apparently he responded uh, the shepherd does not abandon his flock I can't leave my parishioners and conceal myself so eventually the they the came they took him from his home and <clears throat> he was uh, he was killed there in the bushes, shot in the stomach and stabbed, and he was found there. So this is another one of the martyrs. Um, another another one that's of interest is Blessed Severian Baranek. Um, in 1941, he was arrested by the NKVD, uh, by a KG, the, what would become the KGB, and he was brought. Uh, oftentimes, they were you'll read the story, and they were brought to a prison in, in a town called Drohobich. Drohobych uh, seemed a notorious prison. He was never seen alive again. Uh, he was mutilated by tortures. Um, and um, you know, the, the account goes um, that um, the tortures on his body caused swelling. They became black, his face was, was terrible. Uh, one testimony even said that on his chest, the sign of the cross had been slashed. So in, in his own body, imagine this, as a priest, his offering the sacrifice every day, mm-hmm. but in his own body and the offering of the sacrifice of himself, it was, you know, carved. Um, another one, uh, even more horrifically, was um, Blessed Joachim Senkivsky. According to the testimony of various prisoners, uh, he was boiled to death in a cauldron in the same Drahovich prison on June the 29th. Um, you know he, you know, just had this this joyful disposition that people loved about him, and to think that's such a horrible fate. Um, another another um, monastic priest, it um, was a Redemptorist priest, uh, Blessed Zinovi Kovalik. His particular torture was that he was crucified against the wall uh, in in the prison. He was arrested actually while giving a homily, so he was a Redemptorist. So they were trained you know, preachers very much focused on moral theology. Um, the account was that his sermons were so impressionable uh, on the listeners, and it was very dangerous to preach these things, you know. So one person even said, I tried to convince him to be more careful about the content of his sermons. He shouldn't provoke the Bolsheviks. Um, but he replied, blessed uh, Zenovi replies, if that is God's will... I will gladly accept death, but as a preacher, I will never act against my conscience. So even in the face of fear, there, there he was. Um, now, of course, um, my the one to whom I would say I have a, a personal devotion is a, a very, very curious figure by the name of Blessed, uh, a wonderful figure by the name of Emilian, Blessed Emilian Kovch, uh, Father Emilian Kovch. Uh, Father Emilian actually um, he lived in the period when the Nazis sort of came back, and he ended up foul of the falling foul of the Gestapo. Uh, he ended up in a concentration camp in in Majdanek. Um He had a large uh, family who often tried to get him released. Uh, again, he was another figure that just sort of brought all people together, centered around the faith. Uh, this. Um, he, he wrote this particular letter home. It's become a well-known letter, and it's really beautiful. Um, to his family, he wrote, I understand that you are trying to free me, but I am asking you not to do anything. Yesterday, they killed 50 people here. If I were not here, who would help them to endure these sufferings? I thank God for his kindness to me. Apart from heaven, this is the only place I would like to be. Imagine that. Um, here we are all equal, Poles, Jews, Ukrainians, Russians, Latvians, and Estonians. I am the only priest here. I couldn't even imagine what would happen here without me. Here I see God who is the same for everybody, regardless of the religious distinctions which exist among us. Maybe our churches are different, but we are all ruled by the same all-powerful God. When I am celebrating the Holy Mass, everyone prays, don't worry and don't despair about my faith, in, about my fate. Instead of this, rejoice with me. Pray for those who created this concentration camp and this system. They are the only ones who need prayers. May God have mercy on them. So uh, a wonderful story um, of, um, I think, his last surviving relative died a few years ago in, in Canada. But a wonderful story of this man. I pray to him every day that I might become a holy priest. I was thinking of uh, that
0: and there one. are others. There's um, uh, mm-hmm. oh no, I was just uh, I did a podcast on that movie, uh, full Me- last full measure, where it's about para uh, para rescue jumpers and their motto, that others may live. And I kept thinking that's priest, and he's at the top of the helicopter looking down. And goes, I need to be down there with these guys. They they they're mm-hmm. no they nobody but to help them. Every yeah. time I hear something like that, I immediately thought priest, so that others may live.
1: This this is the thing about these men is that as you're going through these stories, just one after the other, after the other, after after the other, um, we're uh, we're we're approaching the bishops, uh, the, uh, two other uh, priests here that I uh, that I like to talk about a Blessed Vitalis Byrak, who died a martyr for the faith just before you know, Easter 46, again severely beaten in that prison, mm-hmm. and a very interesting uh, figure, a Blessed Roman Lisko, who was um, a cantor. He was arrested by the NKVD, imprisoned in, in Lviv. Uh, his family kept trying to find out his fate, and they just kept being turned away. Um, they were told he died of heart paralysis, um, but uh, the test, uh, the people, witnesses actually report that he in his, in the prison would sing the psalms uh, at the top of his voice. Um, so, you know they would, they would, you know, they would send him care packages and they would have notes saying, you know, thanks, written in a foreign hand. Obviously, they knew it wasn't his. But, um, you know, there he was singing away in, in prison. I mean, just unbelievable how the joy of the Holy Spirit really um, could be with these men. And then followed the bishops, because in, uh, beginning in 40, 45, 46, um, you had uh, Bishop Gregory, uh, Blessed Gregory, commission, Um, you know, he was interrogated in in Kiev in the prison. Um, The account was that his interrogator, many of them were, was a horrible sadist. And, you know, so the, the interrogator said, so you, you spoke out against communism, and the bishop replied resolutely, I did, and I will. And so the interrogator, did you fight against the Soviet authority? And again, yes, I did, and I will. And he grabbed, then he grabbed some books written by the bishop and cruelly beat his excellency with them on his head and everywhere else. Uh, and then of course, you know, eventually he does die in prison in Kiev. Um, another one, um, um, actually for the, um, the Transcarpathian region was, uh, Theodore Ramja, blessed Theodore Ramja. Um, the, a military vehicle tried to run him over as he was mm-hmm. on a horse carriage. Uh, when when they saw that that didn't kill him, he was beaten, and he was eventually poisoned in, in a prison by by security forces. Um, uh, another figure I, I, I remember he has a very long beard was Blessed Josephat uh, Kotzilovsky, who uh, again died died in 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 um, in, in, in prison, and. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, they were, you know, just lumped together with, with people not of the Catholic faith. But strangely enough, it was like a prelude to you know, some sort of union. Um, there's a, 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 a good friend of mine has written a book on this particular figure, Bishop Nikita Budka, who was in Canada. He was in the free world as a bishop mm-hmm. and returned to, to Lviv uh, right before all this was taking place um and this particular man uh, again was 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 martyred for the faith and another one is is blessed gregory lakota uh, exiled to a labor camp in the middle of human misery and uh, so one of the stories about from all comfort that they knew they were willing to be exiled to the camps um and uh, um Uh, including another bishop by the name of um, uh, Nicholas Charnetsky, Bishop Nicholas, Blessed Nicholas. um, I have particular devotion to him as well. He underwent, imagine this, 600 hours of interrogation and torture, 600 hours. And he endured 30 prisons and camps. So 600 hours, 30 prisons and camps. Uh, Blessed Simeon Lukacs, again, uh, sentenced to hard labor in the prisons and camps. Blessed Ivan Slesiuk. um, He was often called, uh, I read this, by the KGB for conversations. (laughs) And after all these conversations, you know, he would return um, ill, uh, bloodied, and, you know, not... uh, And then a final bishop was... um, basil velichkovsky and there's a tongue twister of a name there who ended up um uh exiled in canada he actually died in canada Um, and i actually knew a a priest who who had met him i remember as a young seminarian seeing a picture of him with with this um with this bishop who died abroad and of course these men were just absolutely broken um by um the um the tortures and the, the intimidation that they were uh, some some final names is uh, blessed nicholas tahelski father nicholas tahelski who you know he uh you know exiled in a, in a camp um many of the of course the conditions were cruel he was um, oftentimes these men died not of um of bullets but of illness mm-hmm. as a result of the conditions of the camp um father um Blessed Ivan, Ziatic as well, you know, arrested because he was found guilty of preaching the ideas of the Pope of Rome regarding the spread of the Catholic faith among the nations of the whole world. Again, prisoned, lived through 72 interrogations, severely beaten, drenched with water, and left to lie in the cold. Um, What did he do in the camp? He stood and prayed the whole day. For whole days he prayed at every moment, and he was a pleasant not a grumpy, a pleasant person to speak with. You could hear many wise instructions from him. So, um, um, And then, of course, there are the, the, the religious. And then I, I, I failed to mention um, Andrei Szotyski's brother, Clement, who also was imprisoned and died in a harsh prison in Vladimir, right in the middle of... Uh, in 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 of russia you know and then other than that you have three uh, women who are canonized who are beatified um sister olympia bida tarsikia matskiev and Lavrentia harasimiev um you know and and, and uh, i think well, i just keep see, i'm learning more and more about them uh, uh blessed peter Verhun, who died as a martyr in exile and then um Father Alexei Zaritsky, uh, the interesting thing that you might like about this particular character, Blessed Oleksiy Zaritsky, was that he took care not just of the Greek Rite Catholics, but of Poles, Germans, and Russians, Roman Catholics as well. He actually gave First Holy Communion to a bishop that was recently visiting Charlotte, namely Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Hmm. So when I met Bishop Athanasius Schneider, and he came to me and he greeted me in perfect Slavonic, glory to Jesus Christ. How do you know this? And he said he took care of the Greek right faithful in Kazakhstan and that uh, the man who gave him Holy Communion was one of the martyrs. And I was like, who is that? Who was that? He said it was blessed Olexei Zaritsky, uh, Father Olexei Zaritsky. So these are the stories of these men and women. And I'm just you know skimming through them using this book. But you can, you can see uh, the devotion of these men to our Lord and to, to his church uh, in the harshest of conditions, at the greatest of threats. As I read them as a priest, my question to myself is, would I even be capable of
0: half? Yeah.
1: Knowing my own weakness, however, with God's grace, all is possible. And so, of course, you know, this is a wonderful thing. To to study, to study the lives of the saints, because it gives us, um, firstly, you know, the notion of how powerful God is and how powerful His grace is, what people have done out of love for God, and it inspires us and impels us to be faithful to Him and to His church going forward. You know, Tertullian would say the blood of Christians is the seed of the church, you know, and our church survived in the underground, as it is in places like China, uh, various other nations in the world, um, because of these men and women and children who gave their lives for the faith. So, this is just a you know brief introduction. You have here um, the icon of the new martyrs, uh-huh. um, 26 of them, 26 of them or so, and you know we pray for their intercession. We pray for them. Uh, to them that, that God might give us the same love that that they had for, God, for him and for his church.
0: Oh, we'll definitely be linking that underneath in the show notes. I, I think I'll be placing order when we get done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, father, thank you for that. That was uh fascinating and fantastic all the same.
1: No problem. I'm I'm still learning about it more myself, you know, I, as I <clears throat> as I went through this show, I actually had to there's just so much that yeah. I had to you know, flick through the book myself uh, so that I didn't lose track. Um, so I'm kind of overwhelmed in, in a good way as well by, by these stories. And, um, and the, the scary thing is, you know, it wasn't that long ago that this was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming up to the 75th anniversary of that pseudo-synod that liquidated the Catholic Church in Western Ukraine. Uh, that's only 75 years. That's basically a lifetime. Uh, So, it wasn't that long ago, Um, it it seems a long time ago, but really, um, you know, just kind of sobering when you think about that.
0: Amen to that. Uh,
1: Metropolitan Joseph Slippi, who succeeded um, Andrei Shoptitsky as the head of the church, the Greek Catholic Church in Western Ukraine, he wrote this in a letter from his exile in Siberia. What a blessing this Siberia has already been for all of us, for all the followers of Christ, for the growth and the life of Christ's kingdom. This place, once barren, today is soaked with the bloody sweat of prisoners and the unconquered sons of an enslaved nation. Not only laments and curses have come forth from this alien land, surrounded by snow and frost, words of calm and sincere prayer have also gone up to the Almighty and continue to go up to this day for a number of years now from various corners and caves the new sacrifice of the body and blood of Christ has been offered a spiritual school has been born and thrives which helps in the upbringing of new ministers of Christ this very Siberian land has seen a truly new human being true Christians true and faithful sons of Christ's church (laughs) wow yeah so
0: Before you go, can we get a final blessing?
1: I can give you the blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you with his grace, mercies, and love for mankind always, now, and forever and ever.
0: Amen. Amen. Father Madlack is always appreciated.
1: God bless you. Take care.